This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Kelly Lane? Kelly Lane was convicted of murdering her daughter, even though her daughter's body was never found. So starting with the background in this case, Kelly Lane was born on March 21, 1975 in Australia. Her father was a police officer and her mother worked in a hospital. Lane graduated from high school and went to college to get an arts degree, but she dropped out and went to another college to learn physical education instead. Lane was interested in athletics. She played competitive water polo in the mid-1990s. Lane was in a relationship with a rugby player named Duncan Gillies from 1994 to 1998. In 1995, Lane gave birth to her first child. She gave the infant up for adoption. This takes us to September 12, 1996. Lane gave birth to her second child in Sydney, Australia, Tegan Lee Lane. Two days later, she left the hospital and made her way to her parents' residence. Later that day, she would go to a wedding with Gillies. At no time did she mention Tegan, discuss her in any way. It was like she never existed. She had not told her parents, friends, or Gillies about Tegan. In 1999, Lane gave birth to her third child. She also put this child up for adoption. Lane told the social worker that this was her first child. The social worker conducted an investigation as part of the process to find a home for Lane's child. The social worker realized that Lane had given birth in 1995 and 1996, so he realized that this was the third child and not the first. It was not until February 2001 when the police finally interviewed Kelly Lane. At this time, she was pregnant with her fourth child. Even though back in 1999, she denied her first two children existed, she admitted to the police that they did. The main concern of the police, of course, was Tegan, because this was the child who no one could find. Lane said that Tegan was the product of an affair, and that Lane had given Tegan to the father. At that time, she identified the father as a man named Andrew Morris, but that was really all she provided. She couldn't provide where he was, anything else about him. It was just the name. Later, she would say that the name might have been Andrew Norris. So she went from Morris to Norris. She couldn't remember the name. This reminds me of the 1992 film, My Cousin Vinny, starring Joe Pesci as Vincent Gambini, a defense attorney who is on a case out of his jurisdiction. He tells the judge his name is Jerry Gallo, who in the movie was a real attorney from New York. But the judge finds out that that attorney is dead and confronts Gambini, who replies, well, I'm not Jerry Gallo, I'm Jerry Callow, C-A-L-L-O. Right, just as soon as I saw that with Lane, it struck me that scene came back from my cousin Vinny. Moving back to the case, Lane's story regarding the logistics of how she gave Tegan to Andrew Morris or Andrew Norris made the police suspicious. She made it seem like she gave birth, just dropped the baby off with this guy, and that was it. But she couldn't seem to keep her story straight as to 
where that exchange took place. The police tried locating the father, searching for him in every way they could think of. They looked for evidence that Tegan was enrolled in school. They tried to find relatives of the father. After an exhaustive search, they couldn't find any evidence that Tegan was alive or that Andrew Morris or Norris existed. Lane was charged with Tegan's murder in November 2009. During the trial, the prosecution, which is referred to as the Crown in Australia, alleged that Lane had actually been pregnant five times in the 1990s. Two pregnancies ended with an abortion. Two children were adopted. That would be 1995 and 1999. And Tegan, born in 1996, was murdered two days after she was born. Areas of focus in the trial for the prosecution would include Lane's promiscuity, her deceptive behavior, and the fact that she hid multiple pregnancies from family and friends. The Crown said that Lane's motive was her water polo career. She wanted a chance to compete in the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. Tegan would also have interfered with Lane's social life and educational goals. The Crown demonstrated that Lane had lied on a number of documents related to the adoption of her children. They argued that there was no viable alternative other than Tegan being dead and Lane being the killer. Lane's deception meant that she was guilty. The defense made a straightforward case. If Tegan was dead, where was her body? How did she die? Who killed her? If Tegan was in fact murdered, was the murder intentional, accidental, reckless? No one knew. The jury convicted Kelly Lane of murder and lying under oath. She was sentenced to 18 years in prison, eligible for parole after 13 years and five months, which means she could be released as early as May 2024. So now moving to the next question, was Kelly Lane guilty? This is such a challenging case because Lane lied quite a bit and demonstrated the unusual behavior of hiding multiple pregnancies. This, of course, doesn't necessarily mean she committed murder, but it doesn't look good for her. I'll go through the factors that point to her being guilty and the factors that point to her being not guilty, then I'll offer my opinion. So on the guilty side, Lane went out of her way to keep her pregnancy secret, including lying to just about everybody she knew. It's not a stretch to believe that in order to keep the birth of Tegan secret, she would have gone to one extra step, escalated her behavior. The whole story with Morris or Norris just seems unbelievable. So this guy fathers a child with Lane. She calls him up from the hospital or wherever and says, hey, do you want this baby? He says, sure, why not? I don't have any plans today or for the next 20 years. So they meet somewhere, some mystery location. He takes Tegan and he disappears off the face of the planet. Even when she's facing significant prison time for murder, Andrew sees this on TV or on the internet or wherever, and he says, I'm not going to bother to say anything. I'm too busy taking care of Tegan. So we're supposed to believe he's kind and caring enough to take custody of his daughter, but not kind enough to make a simple phone call to help out the mother. How about the evidence pointing toward not guilty? Lane was pregnant six times, according to the Crown. Other than Tegan, all of the pregnancies are accounted for. Why would she single out Tegan? There was no body, no evidence of homicide outside the fact that Tegan was missing. We don't see a strong motive in this case. A lot of people want to be an athlete. A lot of people want to have a social life. Very few commit murder for those reasons. We see no other history of criminality. So we're supposed to believe that she went from doing nothing wrong 
to homicide. That's a bit of a stretch. Homicide rarely occurs in the absence of any other criminal activity. There was a reasonably credible witness who came forward later and said that during the time near when Tegan was born, Lane mentioned this mystery father by name. There were reports that the social worker responsible for investigating Lane, the one who brought all this into the open, was unreasonable and obsessed. Serious concerns have been documented about his behavior. None of this was disclosed to the defense. Considering the evidence both for and against guilt, what are my thoughts here? I certainly don't think that Lane is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. There are two main doubts I think are reasonable. Tegan could still be alive, and perhaps Lane gave Tegan to Andrew. He, in turn, gave his daughter to somebody else, and something happened to Andrew, so he's not available to say, hey, I'm still alive, like he's not alive. So I would say not guilty as far as the legal standard, but what about in reality? In reality, I think that she did it. It just seems like a stretch that she would have this whole mystery process that no one can verify in any possible way at all. This guy takes her daughter and again just disappears. It just seems pretty unlikely. I think it's more likely that she did something to Tegan and that that something involved Tegan no longer being alive. So what could be going on in a case like this? Well, I'm not aware of any reports about any mental health disorders or anything like that. Even if Lane was not guilty of murder, her behavior was very unusual, specifically hiding numerous pregnancies. Some have brought up this idea that she had what is referred to as denial of pregnancy or another construct called concealment of pregnancy. Denial of pregnancy is an unusual thought process that occurs in about a quarter of a percent of all deliveries. The result of denial is often concealment, but concealment is technically separate. People sometimes conceal pregnancy without denying the pregnancy. Concealment is established simply by somebody concealing. So it's not really thought of as an unusual thought process, even though it is not common. It's simply the behavior of hiding the pregnancy. Denial is quite a bit different. There are three types of denial of pregnancy, pervasive, affective, and psychotic. I'll go through each one. With pervasive denial, the emotional significance and the very existence of pregnancy are out of awareness. So the person is not connecting with their feelings and they don't understand that they are pregnant. All of the physical symptoms of pregnancy, like weight gain and even labor pain, can be misinterpreted. With pervasive denial, family and friends often do not know the individual is pregnant. So we see some overlap here between pervasive denial, and concealment. It's important to note, though, that with pervasive denial, we're not talking about delusions. We're not talking about a fixed false belief. Moving to affective denial, here we see that only the emotional component is denied. The person continues to think, feel, and behave as if they were not pregnant. So life goes on, and they don't really emotionally invest in the pregnancy but they do realize that they are actually pregnant. That takes us to psychotic denial. Here we see a fairly straightforward circumstance. The person is delusional, so they're out of touch with reality. So this would be like other delusions, like if the person thought they were being chased by aliens or pursued by the CIA, it rises to that level. They really 
truly do not believe they are pregnant, even though they are faced with evidence to the contrary. What do we know about women who have denial and concealment of pregnancy? We don't see much research in this area, but there was a study published in 2007 that shed some light on the subject. I'll put the reference to that article and all the sources I used in the description for this video. In this study, we see that, not surprisingly, women exhibiting these behaviors tend to be young. The average age was in the early 20s. 23% of those in denial and 40% of those concealing were under 18. In both categories, we see about 50% completed high school. The unemployment rate with denial was 42% and with concealment 15%, so much higher than the general population. Those who conceal are twice as likely to be students than those with denial. About half the cases of denial would qualify as affective, a third as pervasive, and no psychotic denial was observed in the study. It's thought to be exceedingly rare. Affective denial specifically is strongly associated with previous pregnancies. About 50% of people with denial also have a mental disorder. Research indicates that figure is probably underestimated. Mental health assessment is strongly recommended for anyone who has denial or concealment of pregnancy. So what about a potential danger to the child? Is denial or concealment linked to that? Well, we see other research that indicates there is a connection between denial and concealment and death. It is a fairly strong association with the danger being particularly pronounced within the first 24 hours following birth. Given the information available in the case of Kelly Lane, concealment seems clear, but we don't know if there was a denial. We don't really have any information about any type of mental health aspects. The lesson learned here is that both denial and concealment can be dangerous, whatever the cause in any particular case. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing; she'd invested three hundred thousand dollars with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series. And that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.